Well, good morning. morning. Were you guys blessed by that worship service today? Say amen. I guess not. Ah, That was good. I want to just say, Derek, thank you for uh, working with our students. And uh, I know that uh, the young woman that led worship today, she's my daughter. And, you know, sometimes we get really proud of our kids, you know. And uh, I know as a parent, I've seen my kids do things academically. I imagine you've seen your kids do the same. Uh, and I just want to encourage parents this morning. There's nothing better in all the world to see that your children walk in truth, as uh, Third John says. And, you know, there's a lot of things in life that we want and aspire for our kids to do and be. But there's nothing greater in life as a parent than seeing your kids know and follow Jesus. And... Uh, It's one of those things where when your kids start ministering to you and they start speaking into your life and growing your faith, and there's nothing like that in all the world. And so I just want to encourage our parents today to just, at times, uh, you probably want to shake your kids. Uh, You want to kick them out of the house. And, uh, you know, when they get aggravated with all the rules and and, and it just, some days it just feels like uh, as a parent, you're just failing. And I just want to encourage our, our parents to hang in there continue investing in their kids. Continue to pray for the missions team. Uh, Derek brought that up this morning. They got stuck in Portugal for two days, lost their bags, and uh, they've been, they left Thursday, and today they arrived in Africa. They were supposed to be there yesterday, and so continue to pray for them. Uh, They'll set up clinic uh, this afternoon, and they'll serve about three to 3,000 or so patients, and they'll share the gospel, have the opportunity to do that, and so we're praying that people would come to know Christ as their Savior. One last thing that I want to mention Church, I, I really believe that the power behind a church is, is its ability and its desire to pray together. And, you know, as a pastor, a lot of times over the years I've announced that, hey, we're going to have a prayer meeting tonight, and we'll have, like, you know, a very small crowd for that. Now, if I said, hey, tonight we're going to hand out hot dogs and, and chili and, and ice cream, uh, we, we wouldn't have enough to serve tonight, right? But one of the things that I'm calling our church to do uh, in this season is to take the next 21 days and pray. Uh, we want to start this year off right. I want you to start this year off right. And, and by doing that, we want to spend some time corporately together as a church in prayer. And so we're going to get together tonight and we're going to sing. And then we're going to read some passages of Scripture together. And then we're going to pray through those passages. And we're not going to ask you to awkwardly pray in front of a bunch of people. But what we are asking you to do is participate. And like Brandy said this morning, uh, every day at 1020, we want you to set your alarm clock And at 1020, we want you to pray. The Bible says that the harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest that he might send laborers, that they may labor. And so we're asking you every day at 1020 from now to Easter to be praying that people would come to know Jesus Christ as a result of our efforts here at Southgate and being disciples that make and multiply disciples of Jesus Christ here and around the world. And we're going to kick that off tonight by spending time in prayer And we're going to do that as a church family. And so uh, please be here this evening for that. Now in our text today, Matthew chapter uh, 16, we're going to begin reading in just a moment in verse number 13. And we began a series last week entitled Our House. And what we want to do over the next uh, four or five weeks, we want to talk about what does it look like for Southgate to be a church. What is our DNA? What What is it that makes us unique How has God gifted us? What's the culture supposed to be here at Southgate uh, for us? Not for the church down the street, not for the church in a different state, uh, not what are they doing, but what has God uniquely gifted us to do, and what is God calling us to be as a church? 
As we begin another new year together, I want to remind you some things that, that we've seen God do in the last two years. I'm so thankful to see that our youth ministry and our student ministry is thriving. Uh, I talked to uh, Zach this week, and I think uh, for this weekend's uh, winter retreat for the students, he's planning to have over 50 adults and students attend that retreat this weekend. Isn't that crazy? Uh, that's incredible. Amen? And then, over the last two years, and this is, just blows my mind, this is just phenomenal, uh, in the middle of uh, the highest inflation in 40 years, our church was able to pay off over a million dollars of debt in 13 months. Amen? And this time, this Sunday, last year was when we announced that a year ago today. And so we announced last year that we are, we are and we are uh, basically completely debt-free, and we have no debt, we owe no one anything. And so now the money that we receive, we use that, we invest that, and we spend it to advance the kingdom of God. Amen? Now, what's even more amazing than that is over the last two years, we've been able to give away, or we are going to be able to give away, over $330,000 to world missions around the world. And so I don't know about you, but that just kind of gets me excited because that's the kind of church that we have, a church that's generous, a church that's focused on the kingdom of God and not just on themselves. So as we step into a new year, 2023, I want us to consider what is God's vision for the church? What is his vision for Southgate as we move forward together? Because the reality is, is that the world needs a united church, a church that's united around the gospel, a church that's united around the mission of Jesus Christ. The world needs a church that believes that they are to follow Jesus, and he has given them a purpose, and God has given them a priority. And we see this in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. The Bible says, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah, or maybe one of the prophets. And Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, he said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whether you buy, whatever you bound on earth shall be bound uh, in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Now, I want to say this this morning, but the church is by no means perfect. In fact, I believe that the church is a bunch of misfits that God is called to advance the gospel and push back against the darkness that we experience in this world. We are the church. And the big idea today is this, is that the church is a movement built on and empowered by a promise. Now, you've heard me say this, and I'm going to continue to say this as long as you allow me to be your pastor, but the church is a movement. And by definitions, movements move. And if you're not moving, then you're therefore not a part of the movement. And oftentimes we look at the church as a religious institution, or we look at the church as a place that we attend, but the reality is, is that we collectively are the church, and we gather in here so that we can go out there and be a light and a witness to a world that stands in need of the hope of the gospel. And so the church is a movement. 
The church was birthed as a movement of people around a simple message. It was built around a simple idea. And this text reminds us of the simplicity of the the powerful truth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You see, the church was launched around an event in history, and we talk about it, and we call it the resurrection of Jesus, and the resurrection galvanized. I mean, when Jesus came back from the dead, and he appeared to the disciples on that mountain in Galilee, and he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, and make disciples, and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. It galvanized first century Christians and believers around a simple idea, and the idea was this, it wasn't that they were Roman Catholic. It wasn't that they were Baptist or Lutheran or, or, or whatever. They gathered around the idea that Jesus was, in fact, who he claimed to be. That's it. They just gathered, and they worshiped, and they told their friends and their family and their neighbors and the people that they worked with, hey, Jesus was, in fact, who he said that he was. He said that he was the Messiah. He said that he was going to go to the cross. He said that he was going to be in the grave for three days. And three days later, he magnificently and powerfully and gloriously came back from the dead. And we worship him. And that's what we do every Sunday. Jesus promised that the church would succeed. And if you want to be a part of something special, if you want to be a part of something significant and something supernatural, then we can rest in the promise that Jesus gave to his disciples 2,000 years ago in this passage of Scripture. You see, what Jesus did is he took his disciples into the region of Caesarea Philippi. And about 120 miles from Jerusalem in the northern part of Palestine, that region was strongly identified with various religions. It was the center of Baal worship. The Greek god Pan had shrines there. Herod the Great had built a temple there to honor Augustus Caesar. These were uncertain times much like the times that we live in today. And so in the midst of all this pagan superstition, in the midst of all this religiosity and all this religion, Jesus stands in the middle of that and he poses the question to these men. And it was a question that would begin a movement that would change the world uh, and mankind. And so Jesus is building his church and expanding his kingdom. And here's what he does for you and for me and for these disciples 2,000 years ago. He invites us into this incredible opportunity. He invites us to be a part of a family. He invites us to be a part of the church. He he invites us to be a part of something that's transcendent, something that's eternal. And he invites us into that and says, hey, I, I, I want you to be a part of that. And as a church, what we find in this text today is that there's three principles that guide us into understanding what Jesus wanted to build, what Jesus wanted us to be as a church. And so the first thing that I want you to note this morning is the promise of the church. I want you to see the promise of the church. And the promise was this. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, the Bible is clear in teaching that the church is plan A for reaching the world with the message of the gospel. Listen, there's no other organization on this planet that ever has or ever will be, that has been given the task of going into all the world and teaching the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you and me are a part of the church, the Big C Church. But here, we're a part of Southgate. We're a group of believers that have come together, and we are plan A. We are the hope 
of the world. And God has gifted us. God has enabled us. God has resourced us. And God desires you and me and every single one of us, regardless of our age, our education, our finances, and our resources, He has called us to be on the front lines of winning people to Jesus Christ. All of God's people said, Christianity didn't thrive in the ancient world because of the social, the economic, the religious, and political conditions were right. There was nothing in the first century that, that, that was inevitable about the spread of the gospel. It only spread because of Jesus Christ. Christianity thrived because all authority was given to the risen Lord. Jesus Christ had the authority to call the disciples to himself. He had the authority to begin the church. And then he gave the authority to the disciples and to you and me. And then he commissioned us to take the message of the gospel to those who needed hope. Their mission thrived because Jesus Christ is Lord. Listen, he was Lord then and he is Lord now. Amen? And if Christ wants to see people saved, if he wants to draw people to himself, I just believe that that God is looking for people that are crazy enough to take him at his word who will step out in faith and boldly proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus gives his disciples and us the promise of authority that cannot fail. The promise is that the church will succeed. What is success? Is success having a large church? I was talking to a friend that uh, leads worship at a church here in our area, mega church. And uh, listen, I, I don't think God's impressed with big. Are you guys with me today? Say amen. I don't think he's embarrassed by the small. I, I think God uses all kinds of churches. And success isn't being a big church or a little church. It's none of those things. The promise is that the church will succeed. Success is when we follow Jesus and he blesses our efforts to reach the lost and advance the mission of the gospel. Southgate, you've been given the authority to advance the mission of God. You've been given the opportunity to be a part of something significant, something eternal, something that is transcendent, something that should be a priority for us all. The question is, do you believe this promise? Do you really believe that the church is going to succeed? Do you believe that you're a part of an organization that's plan A for reaching the world with the gospel? Have you taken personal accountability and personal responsibility for being the kind of church member that desires to make and multiply disciples of Jesus Christ here and around the world? Because we've been commissioned to do so. This is more than just being dedicated to an institution or to a, to a religion. You're part of the one organization on earth that's been given the promise, and it will not fail. And so we dedicate our lives to what Jesus has purchased with his own blood. We are a part of something that Jesus Christ purchased with his blood on the cross of Calvary. And so it's my prayer this year. It's my prayer that we might consider how to invest in in the advancement of the gospel. It's my prayer that you might be challenged yet this morning, that we would challenge ourselves to become more faithful, faithful in proclaiming the gospel, faithful in being uh, in attendance, faithful to worshiping God, and allowing Jesus, as we said last week, to have the first place, not the second place, that he would be the first thought, not the afterthought. Oh, that Christ would be supreme in our lives, and that his commission would be on the forefront of our hearts. Man, I want to challenge you to become more faithful to its purpose rather than just going through the motions of religion, which profits us nothing at all. 
So we see, first of all, the promise of the church, but then, secondly, I want you to see the power of the church. In our text today, he says that Peter said, you are the Christ. He says, who, who do men say that I am? Some say you're Moses, some say you're Elijah, some say that you're one of the prophets. And he looks at his disciples and says, who do you say that I am? Who do you believe that I am? What do you think that I am? Peter, as he always did, spoke out first. He says, you're, you're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. You're the one that we've been waiting for. You're the Messiah. You're the Savior of the world. And we'll follow you. So Peter said that. Well, there's a lot of confusion in church history over what all of this meant. Several years ago, I had the opportunity to visit the Holy Land, and we, uh, on our way home, spent a few days in Rome, and we went to the Vatican, and it's an amazing place to go if you've ever been to the Vatican. But on the front doors of the Church of the Vatican, you see the... Uh, the inscription on the doors, these massive doors. And you see that uh, from this pa passage of Scripture, there's inscripted on those doors, they're, they're imprinted on the doors, the keys to the church. Because see, the Roman church believes that Peter was the actual rock, that he was the actual first pope of the Roman Catholic Church. And so this passage is often misunderstood and often taken out of context. But when Jesus said, Peter... On this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He wasn't saying, Peter, you're the rock that I'm going to build the church on. Hey, Peter, Peter, like three, a few days, the, the day that Christ was uh, crucified, denied Christ three times. Peter couldn't withstand the pressure of being the one who would take the church in the next generation. It was Jesus Christ, and it was the authority of the gospel. That's the power of the church. That's the foundation of the church. The church isn't built on any one man, any one person, any one family. There's not one denomination that has a, a monopoly on the gospel. The foundation of the church is the message that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. Amen? Amen. That's the truth this morning, and that's where the power is. Peter acknowledged what was the gospel, and that is the rock. Now, the church is composed of believers who gather around a risen Savior. The church is founded on the truth of the gospel, and this truth motivates us. It ought to stir you and energize you to share the life-transforming message with your neighbors and with the nations. Jesus was going to, and he is building his church off the statement of Peter, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That, my friends, is the most basic proclamation of the gospel. There's no other foundation for our faith. Jesus grows. Listen, you want to know how to see Southgate grow this year? How many of you would love, I mean, honestly, how many of you would love to see this building full of people every week? Say amen. I mean, I look around, there's some pockets here, some pockets here, there's a pocket over there. Today's a pretty good attended day, but how incredible would it be if a year from now we saw 50 to 100 new people who were not in a church a year ago, but people that, that were apart from God, far from God, had no knowledge of God, and they came into Southgate and they heard the fact that Jesus Christ is in fact the Son of the living God and that He loved them and He died on the cross for their sins and He wants to forgive them and have a relationship with them. And a year from now, there's 50 to 100 people that have put their faith in Christ, been in the baptistry, and they're now part of the family of God. How many of you get excited about that? Say amen. amen. And so, here's how we build a church. We do an Easter egg hunt. <laughs> or we have Santa, and we, have, we come take pictures. And listen, my, my friend Andrew and I, we joke about this, and, 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 and I'm not against Easter egg hunts. I'm not against having fun at church. 
I don't, I don't want anyone to go to a boring church. I, I think we ought to have fun together. I think we should do fellowships. But if a risen Christ coming back from the dead is not enough to draw people to Christ, then there's nothing in this world that will. There's no entertainment. There's no, there's no event. There's nothing more spectacular, more amazing, more supernatural, uh, more transcendent than Christ coming back from the dead. That's the message of the gospel. And that's where the power is found when we proclaim that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. Paul said as much in Romans 1.16. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, unto the Jew first and also to the Greek. Ellie sang it this morning. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby men must be saved. Listen, we proclaim Christ. We proclaim a risen Savior, and we put all our eggs in that basket. We put our hope in that basket. We put our trust in that basket. And listen, the church is built on the gospel and the preaching and the proclamation of Jesus Christ. And that's not just from this platform, but that's, a, that's where you live, work, and play. When you go to work, when you sit in your cubicle, when you're out in the community, when you're playing soccer, when you're, when you're going to school, no matter where you go, when Christ is proclaimed, Sinners are drawn to him. That's where the power is. Anytime in the New Testament that the message is proclaimed, people came to Christ. Because it was a life-altering, transforming message. The early church disciples believed so passionately about Jesus Christ, it, it literally turned the world upside down. I mean, in the, in the first century, Jesus could have been like, hey, I'm going to create the internet so we can get it out there. I'm going to create TV or radio ministry so that we can get the message out there. No, Jesus didn't do any of that. He says, I want you to go. I want you to, where you live, where you work, where you play, where you run around, where you go to school, whatever it is that you go, tell people about me. We don't, need, we don't need marketing. We don't need Facebook and social media, and yet we do those things. What we need are people that are so passionate about being forgiven of their sins and knowing that they're going to live forever with Jesus that they tell everyone that will listen that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. That's how the church grows. The church isn't built on programs. It's built on a person, and his name is Jesus. And we never want to do anything here at Southgate that cheapens that reality. The power of the church is the Great Commission, which according to this text and description, is pushing back the darkness and proclaiming Jesus. The power of, of the church is in the proclamation of Jesus. That's what draws the lost into the kingdom. So the more we proclaim, the more power we have, and we see lives transformed by this message. And what galvanizes a church, what, listen, you know what brings us together? You know what gives us fortitude? You know what gives us courage and hope and strength to carry on? The one point of common ground, really the only point of common ground, it's that we believe in Jesus Christ the Son of God. We believe that He rose from the dead and that His death paid for the sins of the whole world. And that, my friends, is what fuels the mission of the church. That's what the church is about. It's not about styles. It's not about preferences. It's not about personalities. It's not about music. It's about Jesus Christ and what He did for us 2,000 years ago. It's not about location, because in the New Testament, there was no location. It's not about style or tradition or a way of doing things, because there was none of that. A risen Savior is the hope of the world, and that's why we gather. The gospel fuels and motivates our heart to make Him known to the ends of the earth. So in our house, that's our series, in our house, 
in our church, in this family, we're going to make it a priority to proclaim the gospel. We want to share and invite anyone who will listen. We want to invite them to follow Jesus. So today I'm challenging you to be a part of the plan of reaching our community with the truth of Jesus Christ. Now I want to be clear on this. As a church, we're not going to have sex uh, success. Glad the kids aren't in here anymore. Have some parents emailing me after services today. Text me. Sorry. Let's get a little excited sometimes. Things get confusing. Well, that just totally just, you know, breaks up the momentum that I had going there. But either way, we will not have success if we're not proclaiming the gospel. We will have success because we are about that. Listen, we're not going to have success because we have a cool pastor or that we have cool music or a cool facility because, because we may or may not have that anyways. You certainly don't have a cool pastor, right? Amen? <laughs> Amen. You can't even talk today. But we can proclaim the gospel. And listen, I'm going to tell you one thing that we can do. We can love the daylights out of people. We can love them. We can love them regardless of where they come from or what they're struggling with or, or what their story is. We can love them. We can love them into the kingdom of God and we can proclaim the gospel to them and we can't fix their situation, but we can introduce them to the one who can. This year, we're challenging you to participate in outreach goal of 10,000. And I know some of you are thinking, man, that's a lot of people. We want to we touch 10,000 lives this year. I didn't say 10,000 conversions. I said as a church, we want to witness to 10,000 people. In your life groups this morning, we explained to you how we're going to do that. There's four ways to witness, and, and, and we'll roll more on that out this week. We're going to ask you every day for the, until Easter to pray at 1020 for the lost to be saved. And some of you are thinking, man, 10,000 people, how are we going to witness to 10,000 people this year? I'm going to tell you how. If every person that attends Southgate, we probably got 250, 300 that are going to be in services today. If every person in our church, regardless of their age, kids on up to adults, if every one of us just one time every week witnessed to somebody by inviting them to church, praying with them, sharing the gospel, going through the three circles with them, uh, whatever, those four ways, if we do that, if every person in our church just one time a week witnesses someone, we'll hit 10,000, no problem. And I believe that God will fill this place with people that need to know Jesus Christ. So I'm challenging you to do that. And Jesus gives us one, light, one final thought, and that's this, the purpose of the church. Guys, I want you to know this, man. Jesus said in this text, Peter, on this rock I'm going to build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. A better rendering of this would be Hades because hell is the final destination. Hades was the realm of the dead, and that means that neither death nor Satan could hold on to any of those to whom Jesus had claimed to. Gates referred to power and authority. And so the idea is when we think about gates, we tend to think about it, uh, we think about it in terms of a defensive posture, like no one can get in because the gates are up. And so a lot of churches and a lot of Christians are like, well, bless God, it's us four and no more, right? We got enough here. We don't need any more. That's not the purpose of the church. That's not why we exist. We're not a country club. We're not a social gathering. We're not the chamber of commerce. Hey, listen, we're the church of the living God, and we're here to point people to Jesus Christ. 
We're here to show them the way, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that no man comes to the Father except by Him. And yet, many churches are retreating. Many churches are pulling back. Many churches are not growing and excelling and exceeding and doing what God has called them to do because they simply do not believe that Christ can actually use them to see someone come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. I heard someone say years ago that you're not actually a disciple of Jesus Christ until you personally have led someone to Christ, discipled them, and then they in turn have turned around and done the same thing. Are you guys with me? That's heavy. Because that's not a, that's not a, a thing for the, the staff at Southgate. We're not hired hands. We're not the hired professionals. In fact, as staff, I've communicated this to them. I've communicated it to you. We're not here to do ministry. We're here to equip you to do the work of the ministry. We're not here to, to deal out religious goods and services and keep you happy. We're not here to be, be cheerleaders. We want to encourage you, but we're not here to be cheerleaders, and we're not here to pop pacifiers in people's mouths because they don't get their way when they come to church. No, our job, my job, is to challenge you, to inspire you, to provoke you to love and good works, and to hold you accountable for being an actual follower and an actual disciple of Jesus Christ. Anything less, if I didn't do that job, I wouldn't be a preacher that's worth my salt. There's no power and authority that's a match for the church when it's on fire and when it's on mission. There's nothing that can stand in the way of a gathering of believers who are moving forward with the simple truth of the gospel. We're the church. We should be on the offensive, and yet we're not. A lot of times we hold back. We don't give like we should. We don't serve like we should. We, don't wit- we certainly don't witness. I don't witness like I should. And so I'm preaching to myself uh, as much, if anything, to anyone in this room today. I'm preaching to myself because so often I get distracted and I'm putting out fires and I'm dealing with personal issues. And yet, in the midst of all of that, God has called me to be a disciple who shares my faith and points other people to Jesus Christ. Do you know the moment you were saved, you were simultaneously called into the mission of God? Man, we're the church. And as disciples, we follow Him and we obey Him. And and I mention this often, and I want to remind you, the church, listen, we don't don't need more information. We We don't need more information as a church. Some of you know more Bible than you will ever live in your entire life. You know what the church needs? The church needs obedience. The things that we know, we need to obey. And I wonder how many of us would consider it a sin to not obey Christ and being a great commissioned disciple of Jesus. I wonder how many of us would consider ourselves falling short of being a disciple and, and, and not completely being all in because we're not sharing our faith. And someone say, well, you know, I don't really have the gift of evangelism. I don't see Christ giving out the gift of evangelism in this text. What I see in this passage of Scripture is Christ calling his disciples. And he does it here. He does it in Matthew 28. He does it in, 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 in Acts uh, 1.8. And he says, look, I'm commissioning you. I'm calling you. If you follow me, you are simultaneously called in the mission of God. And there's no such thing in the New Testament as vocational Uh, ministry, everyone was in ministry. Everyone was a part of reaching others with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Obedience is expected from those who love Jesus, and a love for Jesus will compel you and me to go and make disciples, to expand the kingdom and build the church. Obedience is the response of a heart in love with Jesus. Jossie Chaco, 
a pastor from India that I heard preach several years ago. He said, teaching content will bring a crowd. Teaching content will bring a crowd, but teaching obedience, that's what makes a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's what makes a disciple of Jesus Christ. So many Christians today, they want to study and they want to attend conferences and they, they want to learn and be fed. And that's fine. It has its place. But I believe in our Western Americanized uh, posture and understanding of evangelicalism, we're so concerned about learning more, knowing more, we don't really care about actually doing the things that we're being taught. And that should be an indictment on us all. Ed Stetzer said, for far too long we've made it acceptable to sit week after week and do nothing and yet still call yourself a Christian. Obedience isn't optional. It's expected by everyone who follows Jesus. The movement Jesus founded advances because we're called to connect with people far from God. When was the last time that you had someone in your home that, that uh, didn't know Christ as their Savior? I mean, that's the crazy thing about the church is we come to church and obviously we need friends that encourage us and that we can walk with in the highs and lows of life. I preach that. We're going to talk about that here this month. We're going to talk about what it means to live in community and confess sin and, and, and walk together and hold each other accountable. Hey, man, I'm all for that stuff. But when was the last time that you spent with some? I had someone this week call me and said, hey, do you, you want to come over Monday night? I know April's out of town. You would come over and watch the, the national uh, championship on, on Monday night. I said, you know, I'd like to do that, but there's a possibility that I'm going to spend some time with my neighbor who's unchurched. He, he doesn't go to church. His wife isn't, isn't a follower. I, I'm going to try to spend some time with them this week. Is that okay? I, I don't, and, I, and I hate doing that, especially with church people, because they want to hang out with me and get to know me and all that stuff. And I, I certainly don't want to offend anyone, but what happens is, is we, 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 we fall into this bubble. We just have our friends. And we have our life. And I'm not asking you to add anything. I'm talking about where you live, where you work, where you play. I try to hang out with my neighbors. I try to find people. I, I, most of the people I work with are Christians. I don't know. Sometimes I pray for them. But where you live, work, and where you play, you know, where you go hang out, where you work out, you know, all those different things. I want to challenge you to embrace the Great Commission as the reason for your existence. The American church doesn't need more listeners and learners. It needs disciples. The, the workers for the harvester in the chairs that you sit in this morning. See, I have a hunch that some of you are going to start praying this Luke 10 too. God sends some laborers into the harvest, and you're going to find out, I'm that laborer. I'm that person that God wants to be in the harvest. That doesn't mean you need to go to Africa. It doesn't mean you need to go on a mission trip. I hope you do go on a mission trip. That doesn't mean, doesn't mean that God's going to call you to Zimbabwe or Burkina Faso or to Iran or Iraq or anywhere like that. He may call you to go across the street and just invite your neighbor to church. That's your harvest field. That's your mission field. And you enter that the moment that you leave this building. Southgate, God help us. I went to a Christmas party this year, one of our classes. I went to several Christmas parties this year. And I love going to those, especially when there's members that have been here for, for quite some time. And the other night, uh, I was at a Christmas party, and, and they were talking about the old days of Southgate. They were talking about some of the things, some of the experiences and the gatherings they had and some of the things that God did. And I, I'm going to tell you, man, I celebrate that. I, 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 listen, we are, we're, we're not where we are today. There's been some people that have sacrificed. They gave a piece of their life. They gave financially. They, they participated in some things so that we can have what we have today. And we celebrate that. Can I say amen to that today? Amen? We celebrate that. But God help us. If we ever get to the place where all we do is talk about the past, what God did in the past, and we don't talk about what he's doing in the present. God help us. You see, what's exciting is there's always been people who have gotten that. And that's what I love about Southgate. That's what I love about the church in general. Because like I said at the beginning of the message, the church is a movement. 
It changes. It evolves. It's an organism. It's not an organization. It's an organism. And it's built on and empowered by the promise that we find in this passage of Scripture. You see, it's not a style. It's not an approach. It's about gathering around this simple idea that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that He died on the cross for our sins, that He rose again on the third day. And that is a message. That is a message for the entire world that we've been commissioned to make sure that everyone hears it in some way or some fashion. So this year, I hope you don't slide back into thinking that church is a place, it's a location, but that you think, man, this is a movement, and I'm a part of this movement, and I'm, I'm either moving or I'm not moving. I'm a part of this or I'm not. I'm either participating or I'm a spectator. So I hope for the rest of our lives together, we'll be on task and on mission with Jesus' plan for us reaching the world with the gospel. So I just got a question for you this morning. Are you in? Are you in? This morning, when you came in, either in your life group or when you walked into the auditorium, there's a packet, and we had several things in the packet. One is there's a calendar in there. On the calendar, there's several events that we would say, hey, these are important events for Southgate. We want you to be here for these events. One of those events is tonight. I hope that as many people that are here this morning for worship will come tonight and spend time with their church family in prayer for what God wants to do in our lives and in this community and around the world. And I pray that you'll do that tonight. Missions conference, vacation ball. There's all kinds of things that are going on this year. And this is what I'm asking you to do as a pastor. I'm asking you if you would graciously calendar your life around what's going on at the church. Now, some of you say, man, that's a lot to ask. Listen, I get it. I schedule my vacations around what's going on here at the church. I get uh, uh, ample enough vacation time, and I'm all for taking vacation time. But I think sometimes as American westernized Christians, with our affluence, church isn't a priority for many of us. It's an option. I pray that that wouldn't be the case this year. So in that packet, there's a calendar of things that are going on here at Southgate. Secondly, you'll find in there, there's a, a, a new thing that we're going to do called Bible Memory Heart Club. And we're going to ask you as a church family for all of us to memorize 52 passages of Scripture together this year. At the end of the year, Brandy's going to come up. She's our assimilation uh, director. And, and we're going to recognize all those in our church that memorize all of those Scriptures this year. 52 passages of Scripture. Some are short. Some are a little bit longer. But I think we can do it. All of God's people said? All right. Then we talked to you this morning already about the 10-2 collective. Every day, 10-20, set your alarm. Let's pray for the lost. And we're going to ask you to learn to witness this year. We're going to offer up some trainings for that this year. And so this morning in that packet, there's actually a commitment card. Would you be so gracious this morning to ask God, where do you want me to participate this year? How can I take a step of faith? How can I grow? How can I? We're, we're, we're talking fundamentals here, people. Memorizing the Bible, attending church, and sharing your faith. Those are the three things that we're emphasizing this year. It may seem like a lot. It may seem daunting. I'm just calling our church to be fundamentally rooted in what God has called us to do and be as disciples of Jesus Christ, developing disciplines and rhythms that will not only build the church and grow the church in a way that's healthy, but also build your faith, strengthen your faith, move you forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So I ask you, are you in? With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, how many of you would say to me this morning, Pastor, I certainly know that I'm a follower of Christ. I know that I've been forgiven of my sins. I know I'm right with God. And I know that if I were to slip out into eternity today, that heaven is my home. How many of you could raise your hand and say, I know that with a certainty. I know that for sure. Amen.
Now, how many of you would say to me this morning, Pastor, I'm uncertain that I'm a follower of Christ. I don't know that I'm right with God. I don't, I don't know where I might find myself if I were to slip out into eternity today. I don't know that heaven is my home. Would you lift your hand and just let me pray for you this morning? Is there anyone? Yes, I see your hand. Thank you. Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else? Man, I don't know. I don't know. I just want to pray for you this morning. Now, how many of you would say to me this morning, man, like, hey, how many of you would say this morning, like, man, I want to be a part of what God's doing here at Southgate. I, I, I want to serve. I, I want to be a part of what, what God is doing here, and I'm willing to make some commitments today. I'm willing to take some steps. How many of you would raise your hand and say, that's, that's me this morning? Would you just lift your hand and say that? Amen. Amen. And with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, would you just stand to your feet this morning? Father in heaven, I just pray for our church. I think so time, sometimes we just get so wrapped up in what we're doing, wrapped up in our own problems. I am so guilty of this, and I pray, God, that you would forgive me. I pray, God, that you would challenge me this year to step out in faith, to walk out in faith. God, I want to move forward in my faith this year. I want to be a better man than I was this year, a year from now. I pray that for our church. I pray, God, that we'd start caring about lost people, caring about people that don't really understand. There's nothing wrong with not knowing Christ, but sometimes we just forget about people that don't know him. We don't look for that. We're, we're not intentional about loving and caring for people that, that just aren't there yet. We surround ourselves with people that we're comfortable with. And so, God, I, I, I pray that you would call us to a higher ground, that you would call us to a higher calling, and that we would see that and that we would embrace that. And so I say this this morning, Lord, we love you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In your packets this morning, you should have gotten a, a, a commitment card. Would you do me a favor? And would you, if God spoke to you this morning about one of these areas, or more than one, would you just fill out that card? And come down here as we start out this new year, lay it at the altar, and say, God, help me to keep these commitments this year. Help me to be a part of what God is doing in this place. Help me to be a part of the thing that you've called me to, the church, the Great Commission, reaching people with the message of the gospel. I don't want to waste my life. I don't want to waste my time. I want to love my family, and I want to love God, but I want to do it while I'm fulfilling what you've actually called me to do and be. And so as Derek sings this first note this morning, I want to challenge our church to corporately come and just respond to what the Holy Spirit is saying to us today.